I would like to see a plan from the federal government. And this is why we need Greens there and specifically Alberta Greens, because we know and we live and we are friends with and we are married to people who work in the oil patch. Say, let's talk to them. Let's bring them on board. Let's let's figure out what the plan is moving forward. Welcome to the Ballot Box featuring Natalie Odd. Welcome back to the Cross-Border Interview Podcast, The Ballot Box, a semi-regular new edition of the show where we talk about one thing and one thing only, and that is elections, elections, elections. For those who are watching live with us right now and those who are tuning in tomorrow, we are at the midway part of this 44th general election. So we thought who better to have on, but none other than Calgary Confederation, Green Party candidate, Natalie Odd. Natalie, thank you so much for doing this. Greatly appreciate it. Hi, Chris. Thank you for inviting me. I'm very happy to be here. So Natalie, I've got to ask the first question and it goes to every candidate I've ever had on the show. Where does your sense of duty to serve come from? So I, I started uh, really caring about human rights and the environment when I was a teenager. And I, I just, I have a very strong sense of, um, I'm very averse to injustice, just very, very averse to it. It's, it's very deep inside me. And uh, I started working on environmental projects, studying the environment, volunteering, I continued uh, volunteer work in human rights. And eventually I started working in the nonprofit sector and have been doing that for many years. And there was a certain point, you know, through my years in nonprofit that I realized, you know, we were trying to persuade people one-on-one to change their behavior. And it was taking a really long time. And it just is very obvious that you need to influence the decision makers that we have good policy at all levels so that we don't have to do this like a, you know, a one by one, like every little drop in the ocean that we, we actually have to turn the entire tide. So at a certain point, which happened to be 2008, I met Elizabeth May. Um, she came through Calgary and she's been through Calgary many times. Um, I do think she is cloned because she has made her way across this country and stopped into so many towns and is so present with people when she comes into town that she was very persuasive. I jumped in. I had a two-year-old child at the time, was working full-time, and I thought, no way can I run in an election. And they convinced me that it wasn't much work, which wasn't true. <laughs> and uh, and that was my first one. And I once I under, started understanding what was involved with campaigns, um, I, I've, now, I've now got the feeling that this is a very, very important occasion. An election is gives you a platform to talk about things you really feel strongly about. And there are some things I feel very strongly about. Um, before we get into what you're, uh, your, the things that you're feeling strong about, I want to ask the question, um, why politics? You can give back in many different ways. Uh, I know you had that discussion with Elizabeth May, but you can give back by volunteering. You can give back by nonprofit organizations. But you you've chosen that you believe your best uh, your uh, the best avenue for you would be elected politics. So why politics? Was your family political, or are you sort of the black sheep of the family, and you're the oddball out to sort of say I'm going to get into elected politics? <laughs> um. 
really, I didn't think about getting into politics per se. It was all about how could we have the impact that we needed to have, and particularly with climate. Like, what are the levers for action here? And I've had so many discussions. I know a lot of people have who are concerned about climate. We talk about how can how can we have uh, make some progress on emissions. And certainly we were doing that at a nonprofit level. And there is a ton of fantastic, critical, important work going on in the nonprofit sector, which is much larger than people would imagine. The value of, of work that is being done in the nonprofit sector and many nonprofits are very strong advocates for the issues that they're working on. They have become very savvy with uh, communicating to decision makers and politicians. Uh, they are highly valuable to Canada. Um, there's many, many examples of highly professional organizations that are uh, giving policy advice to government because many of those groups are on the ground in the community, you know, with social issues, health issues, all kinds of issues, and they are letting the government know what needs to be done. And if a government is wise, it will listen to those community groups. But I also think we need people from different backgrounds in government, um, different ideas, different mindsets, different points of view. It happens to be the political world. I'm not a political animal. I'm very purpose driven. I wouldn't say it's about power or politics for me. Wow. A, a candidate who's actually willing to say it's not about uh, uh, power. It's actually about purpose. And I appreciate people being honest like that. So thank you so much. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit more about yourself here. Um, you ran in 2019, 2008. And before the interview started, we talked that you ran four times. What other election did you run in 2011 or 2015? Uh, actually, 2015 and 2019. Oh, and now so you only ran in 2021. So okay. 2008, 2015, yep. 2019, and now we're 2021. Okay. So in 2019, I was looking at the numbers. You were the most successful Green Party candidate in the province of Alberta. Mm -hmm. You, I was looking at some of your old uh, Twitter feeds and you, you, you seem to captivate people and bring them along for the ride. What is it about the Green Party and Calgary Confederation that has spoken to people that has brought them to the party? Well, um, I had an excellent cam campaign team. I have to say that from the get-go. This was a small group of really savvy, smart, professional people that are highly skilled, and we punched way above our weight here. Um, it's that coupled with the fact that Calgary is a very young city. It's educated. And, you know, it may come as a surprise to people, but Albertans actually know that we are going through an energy transition and that we need to take climate action. And polls will show that the majority of Albertans rate climate action as a high priority, and they also want to see progress on the transition to clean energy. So there's a lot of things at play here in Calgary and in Alberta, but people know what's going on. Um, and again, I had a really great team. But I'll also so say I, about, yeah, go ahead. I was going to ask, so what are you hearing at the doors in 2021 that's different than 2020, 2019? Because uh, we are still fighting the climate crisis. We are still trying to advance uh, uh, issues around the environment. We are still trying to look at affordable housing. But what are the different issues from Calgary's Confederation's perspective from 2019 to this election, which we are literally halfway through. <laughs> okay. So great question. Um, and Chris, obviously there's COVID. 
right? COVID uh, yes, has, yeah. the elephant in the room. <laughs> yeah, COVID has happened since 2019, but there's other things at play as well. Um, and I, I have to mention this, and this goes back to 2015. 2015, uh, the, the liberals offered electoral reform. And I almost down to <laughs> quite uh, accurate numbers, I could tell at the door that two out of three Greens, people who typically vote Green, would vote for the liberal candidate to get electoral reform. They were very clear and honest about that. And the numbers played out. And now uh, 2019, we've lost hope of getting um, electoral reform from the liberals. And that is just completely disappeared. But I have to tell you that electoral reform has not gone away in the minds of Canadians. People do not want to be strategically voting. They want to vote sincerely for the party that they believe in and get behind and, and feel most aligned with. And so it is, can I tell you, it is still at the door now, people really? talking about electoral reform. Um, I am very concerned about electoral reform. I didn't expect it to continue as a mainstream issue the way that it has, but that is still an issue. And one of the reasons I think it still is, is because climate change as a concern for Albertans has ramped up incredibly. I mean, did people expect to see this degree of wildfires, droughts, heat domes this quickly? We maybe felt it was more distant um, and not that that made it OK, but it is literally on our doorstep now. And I think people are like, wow, we need to do something now. And when you've got the um, International Energy Agency saying we have to end fossil fuel investment. And now, you know, our, our targets are so close now. Twenty thirty. We have to be net zero by twenty fifty. We have to be well down by twenty thirty. And, you know, when it's twenty twenty one. Those of us at a certain age know how fast 2030 will come and how much confidence do we have in our current government or past governments that they are actually going to get down to brass tacks and and get this done. So people are like, you know, it's um, people are worried about a whole bunch of different things, but climate change crawls to the top. There's housing affordability. There's the opioid crisis. It boggles my mind what is happening with opioid toxicity. And it because of all the other things, it doesn't even make it to the foreground in an election like this. And we're losing 17 Canadians a day to opioid toxicity and like shattering families. Um, students are getting crushed under debt. The people who we expect to, you know, see us through this incredible transformation of our economy while we're reducing emissions are crushed under debt and and don't have mental health supports, can't get summer jobs because summer job programs have been cut in Alberta, if you can believe it. Like, what the hell is going on here? You know, and then people think, let's get some fresh ideas, fresh people, fresh party in there to shake things up and make things happen. Oh, look, we have first past the post. Now what do we do? Yeah. Oh, I, I agree wholeheartedly there. Um, I want to I want to talk a little bit more about some of the issues you talked about. And I want to start with climate change, because it seems to be the big issue that you were just talking about. And that we'll talk about the electoral reform here later. But climate change. Yeah. Um, I'm going to play devil's advocate first, and then we'll talk a little bit more into it. You talk to Calgarians across the political spectrum and they will say, we want to transition, but we don't want to do it quickly because we do realize that uh, the, 
the oil and gas industry is putting food on our table. It is helping our uh, life. We are not living paycheck to paycheck as we were, but oil and gas, because we work in it, we don't want to just cut it cold turkey. How do you, as the potential next green MP or the first green MP for Calgary Confederation, talk to the people in the oil and gas industry in your riding and say, we need to transition, but we need to do it on a timeline that is both beneficial to you as the employee, but also to ensure that we look at those 2030, 2050 targets as well. Mm -hmm. So I first want to say that Alberta is my home. I've lived most of my life here. I own a home here. I am deeply invested in Alberta. So when I hear turn the taps off tomorrow, I get what people are saying. Like we, we have a, an economy that has been very reliant on oil and gas revenues and royalties. And everyone has friends, family, co all kinds of people that Aaron really in the oil and gas industry directly or indirectly. So I'm not a foreigner parachuting in and saying, we've got to cut off fossil fuels. My father was in oil his whole career. Like I've benefited from it just like everyone else has. The thing is the people who are in oil and gas, many of them are scientists and they understand the science here. And I'm not hearing climate denialism here in Alberta now, um, you know, occasionally time to time. But I think that people understand what is happening with climate change and what we have to do. And when we look at the timeline of 2030, we are not going to turn the tap off overnight. And I often hear that expression. We can't and we won't. But let's look at 2030. And unfortunately, you know, I wish that we were having this conversation 10, 15 years ago, because we would have had more time to plan. As it is now, we're down to eight plus years, right? And we need to plan. We need to start doing this now. And the better that we plan, the better that we bring oil workers into the discussion and groups like Iron and Earth are doing just that. Bring them into the discussion of how we're going to transition in a way that works for them. Ask them how that's going to work, what they're afraid of, what they need to see, what needs to be put in place. We have a bit of time now to do that, but the time is elapsing. And so we we need our leadership and it it's at a federal level, but it's also leadership by showing cooperation between the federal government and our provincial government um, and, and municipal governments as well. And frankly, we have to see some urgency from the federal government to be talking about this on a regular basis and giving it the, the urgency and legitimacy that it's due as an emergency. So, you know, you've heard, Chris, that the federal government declared a climate emergency a few years ago, and then the next day they bought the pipeline. I mean, I, I would like how to can you expect a plan Canadians from the federal government? And this is why we need sense of urgency when that kind of thing happens, Alberta Greens, you know, with our, our because we know and we live and we are friends with and we are married to people who work in the oil patch. Say, let's talk to them. Let's bring them on board. Let's let's figure out what the plan is moving forward. This is not just about energy. I, I just want to say that I, I know that we do have a third of Canada's emissions coming from Alberta. You know, obviously, we have the oil sands and we have oil and gas, but it is not just that. There are provinces that are exporting a lot of coal, and that is a huge issue. And uh, liquid natural gas, fracking, all of these, right? Um, Transportation is a really, really big climate change issue. We're talking about land use, how we grow food, agriculture, industrial processes, our buildings, the fact that we have to build our carbon sinks. So 
This is going to be a complete transformation of our economy. It's not about picking on oil and gas workers in Alberta. They play an important role. But I would rather we we've said this for years, though, get out in front and and let oil workers help design the process. I don't think people dream of working in the oil and gas sector. I think they dream of having a responsible job where they contribute and they can support their family and feel good about themselves. So let's get on with that. And uh, that is why we need Alberta Greens in Ottawa. You, uh, you've just basically answered but six of my questions that I was going to ask and follow up. So thank you so much for being able to not even have to be uh, prompted by questions. It's greatly, greatly appreciated on my end. I, I want to talk a, a little bit more about um, COVID-19 now, because it is the elephant in the room that every MP needs to be addressing if once elected on September 8th, 20th, 20th. 20th. I know it's a short election, but please don't let it be next week. (laughs) Not even that. I'm just with the municipal election and the federal election, same time. They're two days apart. It's just very confusing. Um, I want to September 20th, everyone, but you can start voting. You can start voting September 10th. Yeah, you can vote now. There you go. Uh, I want to talk about COVID-19 for a second. Um, We have seen Albertans use COVID-19 relief a lot over the last 18 months. Um, We are not out of this pandemic. We are looking at a fourth wave here. If, If we aren't already in said fourth wave. How do you plan to advocate for your residents when it comes to COVID-19? And how do you plan, and this is the big one, how do you plan to ensure that everyone recovers from this pandemic and not just the rich and the people in the middle class, but everyone, because everyone is struggling right now, whether it be mental health, whether it be financially, whether it be housing, people are struggling. How do you ensure everyone gets a fair shot at recovery. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Chris. Um, First, I want to say with COVID and the recovery from COVID and and speaking about the health element of COVID, something that uh, really drew me to the Greens, it's a very evidence-based, science-based point of view, the way that we develop policy. And I believe strongly you need to listen to the experts. And I think places in the world that have had success is where they let doctors and people who are experts in the field decide what needs to be done and not politicize it. And we need to have confidence that we are listening to our doctors and people on the front line and people who are looking at the data. So I think we really need to listen to those people and figure out how we're going to protect people and and have the least number of people get COVID because I know that we're looking at, we definitely don't want to overload our hospitals and our ICU for obvious reasons. We don't want people having to go to hospital and having to go to ICU. Uh, medical workers are overwhelmed. They are totally exhausted. They are demoralized. We've even seen suicides amongst people in the health profession because they feel like they're not doing enough. I mean, you know, we, before the show, we were talking about things that happen behind the scenes. We have no idea. I really wish that we had actually seen far more footage of what was happening behind the scenes in hospitals to see what they are experiencing. And I don't know why we don't do that, but um, I think we really need to see the reality of what COVID is. And I wanted to add to that, that um, what uh, what's also happening is long COVID. It, it's not a great thing. If you're lucky, you won't get bad. 
bad symptoms, but some people are really unlucky and they are having long-term symptoms and we don't even know uh, what we're looking at here in the overall picture of COVID. So let's try and um, reduce the number of infections as, as much as possible. In terms of recovery, this is something that was in on my mind pre-COVID, not because I anticipated a pandemic, but oftentimes in elections, um, the middle class gets invoked a lot about boosting up the middle class, helping the middle class. Well, certainly we want to help Canadians, but there's very little talk about people in low income, people living in poverty. Um, and what we should be doing, COVID or no COVID, is making sure that everybody is protected because everyone, housing is a human right and we need to act like it is. And, you know, I did some research, who, whose responsibility is housing? And, you know, it is a provincial responsibility. There's no question. But the federal government also has a national housing strategy and they can pull levers, you know, with um, with mortgage rates and this kind of thing. But we need to be looking at a lot more options with housing right now is just this commodity that's on fire. So you can imagine um, the average home being, you know, almost eight hundred thousand dollars. I mean, there's many people who will never own a home, that's for sure. But um, at least they need to get a fighting chance to have appropriate housing that's rental housing. So and a, and a, in a family where both parents are working full time, is it unreasonable to expect that they could own a home? I don't think so. So we need to be looking at social housing. Five percent of Canadians live in social housing. And in other countries, it's much higher because it's not stigmatized. We, we know there's different echelons of income. In other countries, it's up to 30%. And these are modern countries with strong economies. You have people in social housing. We need to destigmatize that. We need good social housing that, that are good, healthy buildings, but also cooperative housing. We need nonprofit housing. Let's look at some other options instead of just having housing as a commodity and then just building other houses out of desperation. It should actually be a type of housing that we focus on and, and build intentionally. And I'll add to that, um, guaranteed living income. The Greens have been talking about this for years. Uh, there's people in other parties that also know that it's a good idea. It's, it's actually very sensible and cost-effective because when, when guaranteed living income, so people have minimum amount of money at all times to pay their rent and buy their food, they can participate in society, they are less likely to get sick, and you know, be in hospital and, and, and all the other costs that come from that, mental health, physical health. Um, there's so many good reasons for guaranteed living income. We had a manner of that with the supports that the, the federal government provided during COVID. It would have been much, much better if it had been well-planned and well thought out to go to the people who really, really needed it um, because there was such a scramble and then people getting threatened that they didn't qualify, you know, terrifying people who are, you know, on the cusp of eviction. I know people who were on the cusp of eviction and people shouldn't be in in that situation. And then you hear that Imperial Oil got one hundred and twenty million dollars uh, for its employees and then three hundred and twenty million dollars, you know, as dividends to shareholders. So the, that's just one example of misplaced money, right? Um, I, I, I'm just going to jump on my soapbox here for a second because you said something that I want to address to the listeners and to the viewers here while you take a little sip of your uh, coffee. Um, to those who are protesting outside of our hospitals right now, I was at the hospital twice yesterday and once this morning. Stop it. 
the people who are in there, the people who are working, the people who are looking after our loved ones do not need honking outside, do not need to hear chanting of F this, F that. Stop it. Go to your city hall, go to your elected officials and do it there. The hospital is safe ground for everyone to get treated. So please stop it. Sorry, there's my rant for the day. And I apologize for that. It's just, no, it's been bothering you're here, me. Chris. You, you said that. And I was like, I got to mention that because we, we were held up because protesters were walking in and out of the front of the Tom Baker Center. So stop it. Anyway, <laughs> back to my interview with Natalie Odd. For those who were listening and for those who were tuning in, uh, we are sitting down with Calgary Confederation, Green Party of Canada, Candidate. Uh, Natalie odd. Um, so Natalie, I want to talk because we are at the 25 minute mark and I said, we'd probably be at 30, 35 minutes. I want to talk about you as the next MP. Uh, you are waking up the next morning and you are the newly, uh, MP, uh, designate for Calgary Confederation. What's your first priority? There, there are competing priorities there. I would have a very busy first day. Um, I, I have to say, in terms of absolute urgency, I think the opioid crisis uh, is one of the ones that comes to my mind first to, to look at because um, it has not been getting any attention. It is, we are seeing completely unnecessary deaths, 17 a day in Canada. And, you know, that is on the same level as Alzheimer's and diabetes, which we have treatment for and people get care for as they should. And opioid toxicity, for whatever reason, is, is hardly given any attention. And these are completely unnecessary deaths. Um, we have a very vulnerable population that's susceptible to this when there are toxic drugs on the street. But it is not only that people very unfortunate from all walks of life are getting caught up in this because of starting opioid use, which is a whole issue in and of itself. But I, I, I'm just very compelled by this because any death shatters a family. And it's very, very costly. Opioid death, because there are we should be having the safe sites, safe supply, Narcan, treatment beds. We should be, you know, testing the drugs, letting people take drugs safely. I believe that we should decriminalize drugs. People shouldn't be in prison for drugs. You know, there's offhand comments by politicians saying uh, we're going to treat um, this as a mental health issue, you know, um, drug possession and things like that. Well, no shit. Like, how many decades did it take you to think of that? And then what are you actually going to do? What are you going to put into play for that? And it takes so many years to destigmatize and all these families and parents and, and kids that have lost family members. And we're just barely now talking about treating it as a mental health problem. Like get on with it already. We need to decriminalize possession of drugs. I mean, this is not radical. This is just like sensible. If you look at the root causes of these issues, it is very, very clear what we have to do. And again, Listen to people who are on the front line, listen to the families. And with so many issues that we need to do, listen to the frontline workers and the families. And your answers are there. 
the one thing I hear when I talk to Calgarians from all parts of the city and all demographics of the city, whether it be uh, race, religion, socioeconomic, I hear that the one thing that they're concerned about when they elect an MP is they go off to Ottawa and you never see them until the next election. Oh, they've gone, they've left. Oh, it must be election because they're finally door knocking. There are a few exceptions to that, but I would assume, and I say this with all sincerity because I live in a riding like that, people are sick and tired of fly-in candidates who get elected, go off to Ottawa and don't come back, and they only see them after the election. How will you guarantee to the people of Calgary Confederation that a vote for you is proper, true representation, and you will hear from the people of Calgary Confederation? Thanks, Chris. I completely understand that concern. And I can tell you, um, every single day, (laughs) I am... Working on campaigns, I have several other campaigns going on right now, and many of them are door to door campaigns. So outside of elections, I am going door to door on the things that that I care about, that I think matter. So, for example, if you've seen Defend Alberta Park signs around Alberta, that's me putting out signs day in, day out, going door to door with information about parks. The same thing with the open pit coal mining and the same thing with Drawdown Alberta, like 365 days a year, I'm out in the community and door knocking and talking about these things. This is what I, this is my life. (laughs) But Ottawa is different. You work in Alberta. I'm assuming you travel across the city, but you are going to be working in Ottawa. How do you stay connected when you are almost, I want to say 28,000, 2,800 to 3,000 kilometers away on a regular basis? Is it virtual town halls? Is it communications mm-hmm. through those literatures that everyone gets in their uh, mailbox and then throws them away like within the moment that they, they get it? Mm, that's a great question. And Chris, I think what I would do is I would ask the, if I'm fortunate enough and honored enough to be elected, I would ask the constituents how they want to be communicated to. Like They are the experts. I keep saying that frontline people, like <laughs> they're the ones that know. So I'm not going to make assumptions about it. I will ask them and they will likely have suggestions about how we can communicate and stay in touch and how they can let me know what's important to them and how I'm doing. There's a lot of different ways to do that. So I would put out some options and I would ask people what they think. Um, I, and I will say green Greens in Parliament, it, it's a different kind of culture amongst Greens. It's to date, a very small group of people, but we speak our mind. We're critical thinkers. Like we will figure things out. We don't we don't have things that we're going to do because we've always done them. Like I'm completely open-minded about this. I, I want to ask this question because this is, this is, this is my fun question. This is the question I, I love asking uh, candidates. Um, you, there is no chance in any situation, anyone will ever get a hundred percent of the vote. Not possible, not doable. As long as, unless you're acclaimed, not going to happen. I want to know from you how you, the Green Party candidate for Calgary Confederation, the next MP for Calgary Confederation, will represent the views of the people who vote for the Conservative Party, the views of the People's Party of Canada, the Mavericks, the Liberals, the Conservatives, the NDP, but also ensuring that your morals and your values still are upheld. 
Wow, that's a great question, Chris. How do you do that? I don't want to sound trite in in responding to this. I, I think it's challenging. I think it's really challenging. I was thinking about this the other day because what happens if your constituents want you to do something and you don't think it's right? Um, because the job of an MP is to represent their constituents. And, you know, it, I have to make a call on a case by case basis and that. Not. First of all, if I'm doing my job as an MP and I'm communicating with the constituents and giving them good opportunities to tell me what's important to them, I will be speaking to people who voted, voted for any one of the parties um, for sure. And, and can I just say the campaigns that I typically do are nonpartisan. I, I uh, you know, the environmental ones that are um, for parks and mining and that kind of thing. Um, I am talking to people of all kinds of political stripes and it is completely respectful and civil and we stay focused on the issue at hand. So I think that there is a way to do that, to focus in on issues and ask people, you know, a, a lot of times when people are acting disrespectfully and certainly I've experienced people yelling and saying things like that, they're afraid of something. And I think you have to find out, find out what people are afraid of. And, and think about that and put yourself in their shoes and what their experience is. And I do think at the end of the day, you need to listen to what your constituents say, but you do have to do what you think is right. Um, and, you know, that looms large with with climate, because I think what has impeded climate action is trying to please people and trying to not rock the boat and not upset anybody and not lose votes from certain sectors. And look where it has gotten us. It's going to be far more costly than it would have been if we had taken these actions years ago. So I think ultimately an MP has to do what they think is right. Um, I, I appreciate your honesty on that one because uh, it is a challenging job because you will have a large, diverse voice uh, voices uh, ask you to advocate for their issues. So I appreciate you being honest and I appreciate you answering the question. Um, I'm just cautious of time here and I'm just looking at uh, where we are. Uh, I'm going to ask one last question before we do the wrap up. Look at the camera because if you want to edit this out afterwards, you can, but look at the camera. Why should people put their trust on in you on election day to be the next MP for Calgary Confederation? It's, um, it's a great question and I'll answer it this way. This is my fourth election. That's how strongly I feel about this. This has followed the, the arc of my children growing up because I'm doing this for my children and all of our children. Running for the Greens, especially in Alberta, it's not an easy gig. I'm doing this because I really, really believe in it and I think it's important. It is not glamorous. And the work that I do otherwise is, is really not glamorous, but I can feel good about doing it because I think that it helps people and I think it helps protect our environment and that's what we need. And people who know me know that they're, I'm out there pounding the pavement for all of these various different issues. And I'm very willing to do the unglamorous work, but I, I also am really willing to listen to constituents and see what's happening in their lives and what we need to do about that. So I, I think um, a lot of people have a sense of who I am from the different campaigns I've run over the years. And I'm pretty consistently me. This is what you get. 
Um, my last question is, and this is the one that I usually get emails about 24 hours to 48 hours after the interview airs. Um, while I can ask you as many questions as I possibly can think of, and I can ask you the way that I want to ask you, there will be people who say to me, why didn't you ask this question? Why didn't you ask her this? Or why didn't you follow up on this? So for those who are listening, for those who are watching, for those who want to ask you a question, who live in Calgary Confederation, who want to reach out, get involved in your campaign, who want a political sign, how can they do that? Thank you for asking my website. <laughs> is natalieaud.ca and my email is there i respond to my emails you get a response it is me <laughs> and we would be delighted if anyone would like a lawn sign in calgary so we can show calgary and alberta and canada that there are people in calgary that care about these issues we are not monolithic in calgary we aren't all conservatives so uh and i welcome donations and people volunteering we have a wonderful group of volunteers so i i welcome you to come and check me out there and contact me if you'd like um for my listeners and to my viewers the links to natalie's social media pages uh facebook twitter and website and email address are in the show notes so please 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 go out get educated learn about all the candidates and vote for the person who is going to represent you you your morals and your values the best. Natalie, I want to thank you so much for doing this. This has been an honor and a pleasure. And for those who are listening, we'll get again, get out and vote. If not, I do not want to see you on Twitter complaining <laughs> for the next two years or four years or six months, whenever the next election is. Natalie, thank you so much. Thank you, Chris, for having me. Great conversation. I appreciate it. The Ballot Box was produced and edited by Miranda Brown and Associates Incorporated.